Welcome to the Urantia Radio Podcast. I want to thank one of my uh, listeners to the podcast for sending me, uh, which is pretty cool. We're going to talk about edentia. Edentia. Do you know about edentia? Uh, well, yes, you're right. Eden is named after edentia. In fact, Eden, the Garden of Eden, is a, a pays homage to edentia. What is edentia? Edentia is a constellation headquarters world. It's the name of the planet, which is the headquarters, the, the center, the spiritual center, of which a whole ton of activity takes place. And it services all of the creatures, all of the spiritual beings, all of the angels, the seraphs, the suns, the spirits, the ascenders, the descenders, it is the constellation headquarters to a hundred thousand systems of worlds. It is a grand it's it's there are one hundred constellations that make up the entirety of our local creation. Each one of those constellations is comprised of a hundred thousand worlds, just like our ourselves. And this is the geographical center. Well, guess what? Today's astronomers have apparently discovered it. They don't know it yet, but they may have discovered, if not Edentia, certainly another perhaps system headquarters, much like our own Jerusalem, which is comprised of a thousand potential systems or planets. But Jerusalem is a headquarters world. It's, a, it's an architectural world. It was built made to order for the specific purpose of being the headquarters sphere for all of the comings and goings of the, the various descending sons, faith, uh, the, the faithful of days, those who represent the Trinity or represent the central universe. And for the Unifitatia, they are the permanent citizens of this magnificent world, which is a hundred times larger than even our own world. Interesting, right? And so how do they find it? Well, that's interesting because on TED Talks not long ago, maybe a couple years ago, uh, there was a woman uh, who published her appearance and her name, if I can find it, is, uh, of all things, Tabby. That's interesting that her name is Tabby. And Tabby is the astronomer who was sort of spearheading this this project to really focus in on uh, stars in our galaxy and what these these stars do and how big they are and if there's any possible signs of life. And she explains in this very first segment in which she gives this talk about an unusual light that is discovered. And she talks about the search for for that special kind of light. Here she is from TED Talks. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Now, I want to tell you a story about that. It involves data from a NASA mission, ordinary people, and one of the most extraordinary stars in our galaxy. We began in 2009 with the launch of NASA's Kepler mission. Kepler's main scientific objective was to find planets outside of our solar system. It did this by staring at a single field in the sky. 
This one with all the tiny boxes. And in this one field, it monitored the brightness of over 150,000 stars continuously for four years, taking a data point every 30 minutes. It was looking for what astronomers call a transit. This is when the planet's orbit is aligned in our line of sight, just so that the planet crosses in front of a star. And when this happens, it blocks out a tiny bit of starlight. And so the team at NASA had developed very sophisticated computers to search for transits in all the Kepler data. And if we found one planet, we would be thrilled. When I joined the team four years ago, we had already found a couple. And today, with the help of over 300,000 science enthusiasts, we have found dozens. And we've also found one of the most mysterious stars in our galaxy. And that mysterious star may, in fact, be Adentia. Now, when a planet transits a star, it blocks out a bit, little bit of this light, and the depth of this transit reflects the size of the object itself. <clears throat> and so, for example, let's take Jupiter. Planets don't get much bigger than Jupiter. Jupiter will make a 1% drop in a star's brightness. Earth, on the other hand, is 11 times smaller than Jupiter, and signal is barely visible in the data. So back to our mystery. A few years ago, planet hunters were sifting through data looking for transits, and they spotted a mysterious signal coming from the star KIC 8462852. The observations in May of 2009. Were the first they spotted, and they started talking about this in the discussion forums. They said an object like Jupiter would make a drop like this in the star's light, but they were also saying it was giant. You see, transits normally only last for a few hours, and this one lasted for almost a week. They were also saying that it looks asymmetric, meaning that instead of the clean U-shaped dip that we saw with Jupiter, it had the strange slope that you can see on the left side. This seemed to indicate that whatever was getting in the way and blocking the starlight was not circular like a planet. There are a few more dips that happened, but for a couple of years it was pretty quiet. And then, in March of 2011, the star's light drops by a whole 15 percent, and this is huge compared to a planet, which would only make a 1 percent drop. We described this feature as both smooth and clean. It also is asymmetric, having a gradual dimming that lasts almost a week, and then it snaps right back up to normal in just a matter of days. And again, after this, not much happens, until February of 2013. Things just start to get really crazy. There is a huge complex of dips in the light curve that appear, and they last for like a hundred days, all the way up into the Kepler mission's end. These dips have variable shapes. Some are very sharp and some are broad, and they also have variable durations. Some last just for a day or two, and some for more than a week. And there's also up and down trends within some of these dips, almost like several independent events were superimposed on top of each other. And at this time, this star drops in its brightness over 20 percent. This means that whatever is blocking its light has an area of over a thousand times the area of our planet Earth. I want to read to you the description of uh, the architectural sphere uh, in question, which is Adentia,、uh, from paper 43. The government of your constellation is situated in a cluster 
of 771 architectural spheres, the centermost and largest of which is Adentia, the seat of the administration of the constellation Fathers, the Most Highs of Norlashadek, whom we know as the Most Highs who rule in the kingdoms of men, for those who know their Bible. Adentia itself, it says, is approximately 100 times as large as our world. She has just described a mag- something that is 100 times bigger than Earth that is traveling in front of a nearby star. And it's so big that it, it takes out 20% of its light. That's how big it is. Could she be describing Adentia? Now she gets into the thicker aspect of the plot. She narrows it down. Narrows down the possible theories of what she's seeing. This is truly remarkable. And so what was happening had to be astrophysical, meaning that something in space was getting in the way and blocking starlight. And so at this point, we set out to learn everything we could about the star to see if we could find any clues to what was going on. First, somebody said, well, you know, what if this star was actually very young and it still had the cloud of material it was born from surrounding it? And then somebody else said, well, what if the star had already formed planets and two of these planets had collided, similar to the Earth-Moon forming event? Well, both of these theories could explain part of the data, but the difficulties were that the star showed no signs of being young, no glow from any of the material that was heated up by the star's light. And you would expect this if the star was young or if there was a collision and a lot of dust was produced. And so somebody else said, well, how about a huge swarm of comets that are passing by the star in a very elliptical orbit? Well, it ends up that this is actually consistent with our observations. But I agree, it does feel a little contrived. You see, it would take hundreds of comets to reproduce what we're observing. Of all the bad ideas we had, this one was the best. Well, here's one. And so we one. went ahead and published our findings. According to the Urantia book, the 70 major spheres surrounding Adentia are about 10 times the size of Urantia, with the 10 satellites which revolve around each of these 70 worlds are about the size of Urantia. These 771 architectural spheres are quite comparable in size to other constellations. So what this this, uh, lecturer is describing is this large, at first, very large planet that gets in front of its parent solar orb, and it blocks out 20, 25% of its light. So that's in itself inexplicable, because this means this, this planet must be so huge. It's, it's 10 times bigger than Jupiter, which is huge. And you heard her say earlier that most planets are not bigger than Jupiter, which is interesting, because is she saying that Jupiter represents a standard size of planets that they've, that they've discovered elsewhere, perhaps? But it does address the issue that she points out. Well, it must be so many of these these small little spheres. What could possibly account for that? What natural conditions could 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 account for for all of this activity, all of these little things moving in front of the sun? Uh, and she's still not sure. And in a minute, she's going to start speculating as to other hypotheses. Now, it's also curious to mention that in a paper. Here's a description, paper 46, uh, paragraph 5, 
The Urantia book says that all the architectural worlds abound in crystals and in the so-called precious metals. So some of that reflectivity, some of the uh, maybe the light waves are being uh, affected by these the crystalline, uh, perhaps even the surface of these architectural worlds that she she may be seeing. But now the theories advance. Now they're trying to figure out, well, if it's not natural, then maybe there's something more to the story. So this isn't the end of the story. So we had to find a way to rule out aliens. Now, you may be wondering, okay, Tabby, well, how do aliens actually explain this light curve? Imagine a civilization that's much more advanced than our own. In this hypothetical circumstance, the civilization would have exhausted the energy supply of their home planet. So where could they get more energy? Well, they have a host star, just like we have a sun. And so if they were able to capture more energy from this star, then that would solve their energy needs. So they would go and build huge structures. These giant megastructures, like ginormous solar panels, are called Dyson spheres. It's really hard to provide perspective on the vastness of these things. But you can think of it this way. The Earth-Moon distance is a quarter of a million miles. The simplest element on one of these structures is a hundred times that size. They're enormous. And now imagine one of these structures in motion around the star. You can see how it would produce anomalies in the data, such as uneven, unnatural-looking dips. But it remains that even alien megastructures cannot defy the laws of physics. You see, anything that uses a lot of energy is going to produce heat. And we don't observe this. But it could be something as simple as they're just rewriting it away in another direction, just not at Earth. Another idea that's one of my personal favorites is that we had just witnessed an interplanetary space battle. All right. Before she gets into that point, let me read to you from paper 41 what she has described based on what the Arantia book also describes. Again, about a constellation which has a headquarters world, 770 satellites, subsatellites circling it, and itself circling a star, a nearby star, from paper 41. Architectural spheres such as Salvington and Adentia and Jerusalem are lighted, heated, and energized by methods which make them quite independent of the suns of space. These spheres were constructed, made to order, by the power centers and physical controllers and were designed to exert a powerful influence over energy distribution. Basing their activities on such focal points of energy control, the power centers, by their living presences, directionize and channelize the physical energies of space. And she was just trying to describe, well, what if these advanced cultures built these gigantic megastructures and used them to to somehow try to get energy from the nearby star? Now, how different is that from her from this statement? These these power centers that that concentrate on focal points of energy control, and by using their living pre- presences, directionize and channelize the physical energies of space. Well, that's what she's describing. That's what she's describing. You can see how this quickly captures your imagination. Well, there you have it. We're in a situation that could unfold to be a natural phenomenon we don't understand, 
or an alien technology we don't understand. Personally, as a scientist, my money is on the natural explanation. But don't get me wrong; I do think it would be awesome to find aliens. And that's what they don't understand. They don't seem to grasp the concept that there could be an advanced spiritual、uh, community. The Urantia book says that Adentia is a sphere which is just like any sphere. It's where action is occurring. It's where life is taking place. It's where the ascenders go to continue to learn. The Univitatia are there. It's a real civilization. Scientists do not want to entertain the idea that there could be a superior civilization existing beyond just this world. That's what it comes down to. What she is describing is the same as what the Urantia book describes:、uh, the system of Adentia, which consists of 771 spheres. And there is life going on on all these spheres.、Uh, the, the world of astronomy has discovered something that has already been described in the Urantia book in 1934. So think about that. A lot of the ways that the Urantia book describes the power centers and how they manipulate energy, and here she is coming up with this theory that perhaps what we're looking at is an alien race. And she's right. It is an alien race. It's alien to us, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily an advanced humanoid race. It could also be an advanced spiritual race that exists and lives and has societies on all these worlds that encircle our constellation headquarters, which is named Adentia. So astronomers could have found Adentia. Adentia. Could have been located, and now we know where the Adentia constellation is. That's amazing. That's exciting. I thought you'd find this topic interesting.、Um, and again, thanks to Denver for sending me the email, and、uh, also thanks to Tabby for providing us good good discussion this time up on the Arantia Radio Podcast. <laughs>